0: What's up, everybody? It's Greg, and here's what's coming to the Popping Collars feed in the month of November 2020. On the flagship Popping Collars podcast, we're talking religion and politics. On take two, Kyle Goodman returns to look back at the Marvel movie saga. Betsy and I wrap up the year of 1989 Oscar movies with a conversation about When Harry Met Sally on Going on 30, The Sacred Six arrives at the episode of Star Trek with the most famous kiss in television history, Plato's Stepchildren. And finally, you asked for them to return, and we delivered. Liz and Ricardo are back with a new episode of the PC Book Club. Thanks for listening, and keep those collars popped.
1: Hi there. This is Reverend Eric Matwaye from the Episcopal Diocese of California. I am the Director of Multicultural Ministries, and you are listening to Poppin' Collars.
0: Oh, you could have gotten mags that dippy dippy dope, but the whole damn nation got the same. Um. Money only flat to the be that's a potent the president, whatever man lame. Put me on a slow moving parliamentary hack and bandwagon. You could put me little ass in the grave. Every time you want it, I'll be live, bring a date, honey I mean, computer when it's over press safe. So you can be the, president. We'll
1: be the president.
2: president. I'd rather be the pope.
0: Welcome to the longest running Episcopal podcast in the history of the internet. Chopping Collars, a <laughs> podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I'm your host. My name is Greg Knight. I'm the director of children and youth ministries at the Church of Bethesda Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. And with me are my co-hosts. Let's see. We'll do it the Red Eye Way. We'll start in the West Coast with you, Ricardo
1: Avila. Hey, Greg. I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California, just kind of southwest of San Jose. And... Um, Doing, we're doing all right, you know. We're, we're we just had our very first outdoor worship service. We're behind the the rest of the country, I think. So we had evening prayer. People really liked it. One interesting thing is with online worship on Facebook Live, they are very talkative with prayer requests in the comments section. But in person, they clam right up. Mm. I, even I, even in prayer, I encouraged them. I said. Just close your eyes and move your fingers like you're typing a message in the comments section, but then just say out loud what you're typing. Nope. They wouldn't do it.
2: That's so, a good trick though. I like that idea. Oh, <laughs> <worth it. laughs>
0: and uh, flying West to East, we arrive in Omaha, Nebraska with Liz Easton. Hey Liz.
3: Hey guys. Um, I'm experiencing some zoom technical difficulties right now, which is the bane of my existence uh, here in Omaha, Nebraska, where I serve as canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska, we've had a unfortunate sharp uptick in uh, COVID cases, so I am back to working exclusively from home. I got to tell you, I don't like it. I'm not made for this. Mm-hmm. It is tough. I think anyone who works in a people person profession knows uh, just how hard it is, so that is, has been a tough adjustment reminding me of the late spring of last year, but it's okay. We'll get through it. And
0: we have arrived sleepily on our red-eye flight to D.C. with Betsy Carmody. Betsy, what's going on?
2: We now have students here. I am now not just, we're not just an island here with no students in it, so we have had students back on campus since October 2nd, and... It's been really great. It's also been really hard because even though teenagers understand six feet, they understand wearing a mask, they understand all those things. It's just, it's hard because they just want to be together. It's been difficult to chaplain the community when you feel like you're kind of by yourself. So I I serve here as the head chaplain at Episcopal High School in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, We're living in all the tension and all the fun stuff that the rest of the world is living in, but... um, doing it at ages 13, 14, 15, 16, and 18. So it's yeah. great,
0: 17, fun. Fun fact, you guys. Did yes. you know that yes. here in the United States of America, there is a presidential election this year? I've now heard you of do. this. Now you do.
2: I am aware of it.
0: Yes, friends, we are aware that we're already halfway down the road of things not to talk about in polite company with a podcast about religion. We're going to double down with a conversation about religion and politics. We've dipped our toe in these waters before, but I think it's important for us to take a step back, have a big conversation about how human beings have chosen to govern themselves around the world and throughout history. So... What is your pop culture example or hot take about the role of politics in our lives? There's your prompt. I'm gonna go to the bag. Uh Uh-oh. The bag. It says me.
2: Oh my gosh, hey. What are you gonna say?
0: Um, I was watching Star Wars episode one the other day, The Phantom Menace something hit me all of a sudden as I was watching it, which is that Natalie Portman's character, this 14 year old was the elected queen of the planet that she oversees. And it's not like it's a planet full of 14 year olds. There's lots of different aged people on this planet, but they elected a 14 year old girl to lead them. Um, and maybe they know something that we don't, but it got me thinking. And here's my hot take. It is now time for the United States of America to democratically elect a king or queen. How'd you do? How'd you do, good lady? I am Arthur, king of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king.
2: I oh, didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective.
0: You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship, a self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working class is Oh, a... there you go, bringing class into it again. That's what it's all about. If only people would... Please, be... please, good people. I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. What? I told you, we're an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the
1: case be of more be major... Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Order? Who does he think he is?
3: I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, I you
2: become king then. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Lay it out there. Tell me. Here's my
0: thought process. Here's my thought process. We have a president. Unfortunately, that job has attracted folks that don't necessarily want to do the job of the presidency. They just kind of want to have the perks of the presidency. So what I'm going to offer is nah, don't run for president. Let somebody who wants to do the work run for that. If you want the showy role where we're going to throw you out there as the spokesperson for America over and over again, run for king or queen. And then we're going to send you to the Olympics. We're going to send you off to, like, make grand speeches. We're going to send you all over the place. You're not going to have to do the work of the presidency, but you're going to get all of the attention all of the notice and all of the popularity, all the pop and circumstance—you're going to be the chief celebrity, and isn't that really what America has said that we want? In in electing an actor and a reality TV star, what we're really saying is we want to have a chief celebrity. That's what we want in this country, right? Thank you for coming to my TED talk. I will take any questions. <laughs>
2: Uh, no, so, are you, I mean, your your statement makes me think of the King George portrayal in Hamilton. I
3: think mm-hmm. you're going to have a tough sell calling them king or queen based on our mm-hmm. history and our constitution. Celebrity in
2: chief, perhaps. Greg, mm-hmm. I just want to say but the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then went to the people of Israel. Each of you return home. I don't know whether I buy that more bureaucracy is actually going Uh to end a pomp and circumstance with thinking about the tax base that supports the,
0: Uh, I mean,
2: uh, I just, I mean, but (laughs) I think, but I think let's get to the core of what you're really talking about. You're talking about the fact that the, that some of the history that we're taught is not really true and authentic to kind of what was, what's been going on historically with presidencies,
0: a, a civil servant, and yes. and to take this honestly, like that—that's actually kind of what I'm trying to say—is that our Constitution is a flawed document, which is you know it's it's something that we should admit to ourselves as Americans. It's not it's not scripture. It's not well, it was not whatever. Yeah, it's not whatever you think it is. It is a document that's intended to be built upon and reinterpreted. When you start talking about you know the the fights between Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell on how to get legislation passed, and what a filibuster is, and how these things work, you're, you're talking about game theory. What they're doing is game theory. They're trying to figure out how their team wins. And our constitution is built around a love of patriotism, not around winning. And unfortunately, what we've learned is that, no, it's, it's actually what we all thought this was built on this idea of love of country and love of service isn't what it's built on at least not now now it's built on winning winning at any cost winning at all cost for your side so that you can pass whatever it is your constituency wants and then when we realize that that is an absolute failure we switch back the other way and let the other guys win and that's where the problems start to arise, right? So when you have a powerful leader who's willing to say whatever to galvanize a base, it's probably not a good idea to put that person in charge of anything. If you want them to be a spokesperson for whatever your side is, great. But don't give them power for God's sake because they're not working on behalf of the country. They're working on behalf of their side. Hmm. You know, it's, it's not for nothing that we elected an actor um, as president of this country in the 80s, who was a pitch man for a bunch of ideas and knew how to pitch ideas. He he had done ads. He knew how to charm America. Um, and that's, that's honestly what the presidential candidates that I've seen in my lifetime between Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and Ronald Reagan, you know, maybe not so much the Bushes, they're pitchmen. They're all pitchmen. They're all selling ideas in a very sort of slick and, charismatic way okay that's me betsy the bag has chosen thee what do you have for us
2: i have to say we've been in this place of having to kind of look ahead to the time when we're going to be virtual between thanksgiving and christmas right we've started getting in discussions about advent and i know when the when the pandemic hit everyone was like well you know, we're just going to let lint go on, you know, kind of, and that mm-hmm. whenever we come back together again, right. it will be Easter. Right. right? And so I am was like, and I had not revisited that thought until recently in this conference. I'm like,
3: I'm so no, glad that didn't take hold.
2: I mean, <laughs> and, so, and so now like we have been living in ordinary time and our ordinary time is, is, is pretty weird. And so, and maybe it's always been pretty weird, but now we're in a pretty weird thing we're sharing together. So we started to talk about, so we had a meeting with our arts department. So I found myself in a position of explaining Advent and kind of naming it and naming that we do an Advent Lessons and Carols specifically and what that is about. And that's a lot about anticipation and the coming of the light and that you're you're saving help is coming. The Messiah is on the horizon and that, that it's a lot of embracing that kind of uh, ethos. Is the Every day you see one more
0: You take it on faith, you take it to the heart.
2: The, is the when I think about how, as a preacher and as a liturgical leader, I embrace our different seasons, it becomes kind of this Venn diagram of you know, what is the season about? Where is my community and where's the world? And that intersection is kind of where I try to hone my message, where I try to find what the community is needing and looking for the questions they're asking, questions I'm asking, and kind of bring that together. But it is so hard right now because so much of what is going on out in the world is the way it is here. People out in the world do not seem to be able to sit down and have conversations about real issues. High school students, like, Yes, we can do this when normally it feels like the reverse, like they get hot and bothered and they're passionate and they're young and they're into it. And the rest of the world feels that politics is boring and debates are boring and, you know, whatever. But it's now like they are just these incredible models of what political discussion can look like. And, and the, the members of like our young Democrats our young Republicans, our government club, like they're really stepping up and trying to kind of come together in all these different ways that have made me so hopeful. Because Advent is on the other side of the beginning of November. How will I wed the outcome of that election to kind of then this season of hope and, re- and the hope for renewal and coming out of the darkness?
3: Jesus. Jesus. Oh, my gosh, it's Jesus. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, Advent is such a rich season that gets co-opted by secular christmas and it'll be interesting to see what that looks like this year like will because so much of our secular christmas activities will be diminished which is might be a kind of welcome thing the light that shines in the darkness is still jesus yeah it feels like there's a way that we'll all have to be vigilant in this election about that
2: if we're looking for the ultimate healing of the world right, right. that that healing is still going to need to come from another Avenue and maybe people are looking for it.
1: Yeah. The the, the thing I like about Advent is that idea of waiting, you know, the waiting and the, the anticipation and the, not yet, you know, the thing you were talking about how Jesus was born 2000 years ago on December 25th, Jesus coming again someday in the future. And Jesus comes every year at Advent, right. Or at Christmas. And so you've got those waitings, those three waitings and those three sort of promises yeah we don't know what's going to happen when it's going to happen i don't personally i think that whole when it comes it'll be easter then i hate hearing stuff like that that just makes me embarrassed um but what i hope happens is what i hope happens every advent and what i've been hoping and preaching about to happen in this COVID time and that is that we learn the lessons of the waiting you know there are things we're not sitting around waiting to be saved that's not the point you know i I don't necessarily think that there's a lesson in every hardship uh, because that's like saying when it comes, it'll be Easter. Uh, Embarrassing. Uh, But I think that if we're smart and if we're paying attention, then we're supposed to be learning something about ourselves and about what it means to be a faith community, what it means to be an American, what it means to be in relationship with other people who are suffering if we can't figure this out, this polarization, if we can't figure it out in our community as a church, and a faith community, then everyone's lost. Because we come with the intention of forgiveness and mercy and compassion. Like, that's kind of like, the, the, that's, the, that's what you accept when you walk through the door of a church. It's important to give, as, as Liz was saying, you've got to give people hope, even in those dark times, because, I guess because we have to believe it to not despair. But
2: that's my thing greg that's my thing what's, what's that bag nice. say? Advent. what's that bag say i
0: love it uh well we have expectantly waited for liz
3: oh thank to you to come
0: with her item so
3: liz what do you have for us thanks and that um conversation was a good segue into my thing um i would like to begin my thing with a um disclaimer for the <laughs> listeners of the podcast which is this i am not a lawyer I am hmm. not a tax attorney or accountant, so just I'm That's, not. That there.
2: feels very different. I feel like Thank a lot you. of people nowadays just make statements.
3: Yeah, no, I'm thinking about my liability. Oh, I, so
2: there's a disclaimer here. Okay, <laughs> all right. You're
3: your attorney, <laughs> don't don't take your legal advice from the longest-running Episcopal podcast. <laughs> In do his, not. In human history. Do yes. not. Um, I dare say, I'll, none of none of us are. <laughs> I would like to talk about the Johnson Amendment. Covered. In
1: 1954, then Senator Lyndon B. Johnson introduced a change to the tax code that prohibits 501c3 nonprofits from directly or indirectly endorsing or donating to political candidates. If they do, they lose their exempt status. That includes universities and churches.
3: I thought that it would be kind of interesting as preachers are gearing up to preach in a, in a conflicted and divided time. Um, We hear a lot in the world about what preachers can and cannot say, which is different than what preachers should and should not say, which um, the latter thing I think has a lot more to do with our personal judgment and our pastoral responsibility and our wisdom We've all, as preachers, said things that we shouldn't say. We've all failed to say the things that we should say. That's different than what we can and cannot say. And I feel like there's some bullying out there and some wrong information, so I wanted to clear it up. And from time to time, um, the Johnson Amendment pops back into the popular um, culture. So I thought it would be uh, just an interesting thing to briefly explore. So to qualify for tax-exempt status under the uh, IRS tax code, a 501c3 nonprofit, which includes churches but is not limited to churches, we always talk about this as a church thing, but it applies to all nonprofits, may not intervene in political campaigns So that's uh, when people talk about, um, oh, be careful, your tax exempt status is going to be revoked. This is what they're talking about. And it's called the Johnson Amendment. It's been part of the IRS code since 1954 when it was introduced by then Senator Lyndon Johnson. And as I said, it applies to all 501c3. So just as a church cannot intervene in a political campaign, a school can't either, neither can a arts institution or a hospital or anyone else that's tax exempt as a nonprofit. So I think that what is interesting about this is that it pertains specifically to political campaigns. It doesn't pertain to politics in general. And we can unpack what that means uh, a little bit, but it basically precludes um, direct campaign intervention for or against any political office. So that means that um, you can't give money f- as a church to a presidential campaign or an elected campaign of any kind or a super PAC. It means that you can't rate candidates. Now, I definitely have seen churches and judicatories do that, but it says that you're not supposed to. You can't uh, provide or solicit any financial uh, support. You can't distribute biased voter information. You can, however, discuss political issues. You just can't express a preference for or against a candidate. In my role as a, you know, working on a diocesan level, I will occasionally get calls from parishioners who are ticked off that their priest is preaching about politics. And when we explore the issue, they're certainly not a violating the Johnson Amendment. What they're doing is preaching the gospel and of jesus and they are uh preaching to the news of the day that has been interpreted as partisan politics through our media which is not the the same thing as being for or against an elected office black lives matter was a great example when does an incumbent president become a political candidate Hmm. Like, so the the Johnson Amendment, which says you can't talk about partisan politics from the pulpit, they're talking about campaigns. So that doesn't mean that we can't criticize the president by name from the pulpit. It just means that we can't endorse a candidate.
1: Uh, You might as well pull the little letter R out of that bag, because this is pretty much what I was going to talk about, too.
2: Yeah, Yeah, let's do it.
1: Yeah. uh yes this will be a shared l and r yes.
0: you were
2: gonna talk about the johnson amendment Ricardo? he no, was no. he was gonna whip that amendment out throw it down on the table mm-hmm.
1: actually i'll be honest with you, i didn't even know that that's what the name of that was she's like i hope she explains what the johnson amendment is because yeah
2: I- she really talked about it like i was like oh yeah i was just wearing a t-shirt that was talking yeah, the about the johnson that.
1: amendment yeah
2: johnson yeah. Amendment. Okay, so i
0: wasn't
1: the I'm only speaker right.
2: no <laughs> like i'm like over here Boop, boop, boop,
1: boop. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, cut. What is it? What are you talking about?
3: <laughs> I got there.
1: No, so no, you did. Um, and that's actually really helpful. So uh, I, I kind of want to answer what you're saying, but I also want to say my thing. My thing is basically, yes, to everything we've said, you know, when you preach, you have to be mindful of your entire congregation because that is your responsibility. You know, you can't lose one sheep. By preaching to these 98 or 99, that's, we're called to hold them all together. And, and what I want to say, my, my sentence is, I hope that 10 or 20 years from now, people don't look back and say, why weren't priests like Father Ricardo speaking out from the pulpit against children being caged and separated from their parents at the border? Because I didn't. And I think that is a stain on my priesthood. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a stain on every person, every priest's priesthood who did not speak out against that. And I know that's a, that's a huge thing to say, but um, I think as clergy, we tend to be timid and we tend to be kind of tamped down by things like what we assume the Johnson Amendment says we can and cannot do. We tend to be um, a placating presence that wants everyone to get along. And so I'm not actually, I'm agreeing with you, Liz, but I think that you're also supposed to challenge and discomfort, bring discomfort to your parish, your flock. And the trick is to let them know you love them, but that they're not doing enough and neither are you. And that's what you're saying. If you're preaching a a, a whole, like you should be doing this or a dismissive thing of people who aren't This or that, then yeah, it's a weak sermon because then they can get that on the news, they can get that on their Facebook feed. What you, what we need to do is say, yeah, I, I I can't understand why this is happening because it's so
3: horrifying and awful, and we as Christians need to call it out. And to me, like if someone were to ask me, how do you preach a political sermon? How do you preach a good political sermon? You do it by building trust over time with a congregation that knows that you love them and will love them and they love you, you do it by having a disciplined, deep prayer life that is daily where you go to a pretty deep well all the time. And you do it by having that great pastoral mixture of humility and courage. And I feel like those two qualities, and I'm speaking to myself too, it's so hard in an institution that is just on the precipice. It feels so scary to practice those things, but those, I don't know if you could really call them virtues, maybe you can, humility and courage when they're wedded together are a pretty powerful force.
2: Working with young people who are in this time of really trying to figure out who they are and what they believe what they believe is different from their parents and also being just concerned about young people being radicalized that i i think i do have i have concerns about that for for our young people and that that isn't just happening to some kid in his garage or in his basement you know in minnesota or you know someplace middle america type thing i mean i think it's happening all over the place so that element too if i'm going to be silent right it's that idea that culture and all of that is speaking louder than i am then that does not work and what i've always been straightforward with with my kids is that i have a bias and i this is you know i'm quoting quoting the bishop of virginia you know she will say you know i have a bias i have a jesus bias when she was criticized for going to the women's march She said, you know, I have a gospel bias and I live my life called to that. And I was called to be on the streets that day. That's what I was supposed to be doing. It is how, it is how I talk about it with kids. I think trying to draw that line and differentiation with students is always so interesting to kind of say, you know, well, should your faith life determine how you vote? And they will very quickly say no, because they're like separation of church and state. Wow. That's, that's, that's how that's interpreted. Well, then how would you vote? Right. Well, well then once you start talking about it,
3: right.
2: you know, well, what, you know, what is, what is religion? What does it actually do and talk about that? It, and, and some of it is whether or not they are, have an active, engaged faith or how they have had to, had to go to church, made to go to church or not. And then it becomes a perception of what a religious tradition is. And so often that is crafted by what they see in the media but then we kind of have to walk it back. Well, but actually these core values, whatever they are, whether they're shaped by faith and tradition or religion or whatever you want to call it, or your own golden rule, moral compass, all the different words we use to talk about it. It's still your core, who you are and what you believe. And you should bring that with you into all the parts of your life, into your relationships, into the, you know, into the voting booth everywhere.
3: But but I think even with adults, like I'll speak about me, if I spent a fraction of the time that I spend reading the news and perusing social media, if I spent a fraction of that time reading scripture, I would be formed differently. But even still, I would think about this sometimes preaching in, in politically different contexts than the one that my friends and I inhabit is um, – I can't – if you spend an hour a week in church and several hours a day watching Fox News, there's really no – it really is an uphill battle. We're formed by what we consume. We think of our diets as just what we eat, and here we are in this, like, purity culture of, like, eating super clean, whatever. We don't apply those same standards to the diet of what we consume media-wise
0: the, the sympathy that I have for the young people that I work with is that things come at them so fast, like so fast. You know, I would, I appreciate what you were saying, Ricardo, about, about the, uh, the crisis uh, of the children on our, on the U S Mexico border. And I was reminded from a podcast, uh, this week. So that was an issue from 2018 that, um, The word immigration didn't show up in either of the debates that have happened so far. Um, The word border was said once by Mike Pence. So so a, a, a story that is catastrophic from two years ago just doesn't even rate to the point that it even shows up in our news cycle now. The president of the United States was impeached earlier this year. I mean, like all of these things are so fast like everything just comes so fast and so furious and it reminds me of game of thrones and little finger saying chaos is a ladder
1: i did what i did for the good of the realm the realm do you know what the realm is it's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies a story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left once we abandon the lie? Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Many who try to climb it fail and never get to try again. The fall breaks them. they are given a chance to climb but they refuse they cling to the realm or the gods or love illusions only the ladder is real
3: the climb is all there is it's a tactic um, it is and- crazy it is crazy what you just described, Greg, is a political, is an ancient political tactic that has only gotten worse and worse, or I guess easier to do with the way that our world works now with communication. But yeah, scatter people, um, you know, sow chaos and discord and keep things moving really fast and lie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there's a propaganda machine and all of a sudden you can get a lot done. Yeah, it worked for Nero yeah <laughs> exactly.
2: exactly yeah well it worked. worked with the exile too
1: right right i was gonna say worked for was it the assyrians or the babylonians who scattered the israelites
2: yeah babylonians right. yeah the assyrians didn't keep as good records so we don't know but they probably did the same technique of like let's take all the smart people back to our country but we'll spread them out to all these podunk small towns so they can't actually coordinate with one another Then we'll keep all, and all the other people there. I mean, it's the same, the Romans, right? That it's about turning neighbor against neighbor. It's about turning people against one another and forcing the people that you've taken over to be the ones who are then you put the, give people power because people like that. And then they'll just execute that power.
0: Oh, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting time. So our pod comes out the day before the election. Or election day. Nice. Who knows how long the election cycle will go. Right. Um, But I I feel like in our conversation here, I don't know. I feel more hopeful, I think. You know, I keep hearing a lot of kind of doom saying about, you know, what the near future holds. I feel like our podcast is pretty scrappy. Our church is pretty scrappy, and our country is pretty scrappy. And we tend to find ourselves back on our wheels, even though we've flipped the car a few times. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll, see. we'll see what happens. Here we go. You can find Popping Collars on the web at poppingcollarspodcast.com. We also have a presence on social media as well. But this is my monthly reminder that those are morally bankrupt repulsive websites where good ideas and information go to die. And they are not reality. So, since now you're not going there, you have plenty of more time to listen to us. We have a really exciting thing, which is the PC Book Club with Liz and Ricardo later this month. Yay! Yay. They're priests and they read books and you'll want to read one too. And, of course, you can get our podcast in whatever podcatcher you use. Be sure to hit subscribe or follow so that you don't miss an episode. Finally, you can find our show, the longest-running Episcopal Podcast, on EpiscopalCafe.com. We love EpiscopalCafe.com. We know you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news needs and beyond. And with that, that is Popping College for this time. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Betsy. We will see you next time and...
2: Keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. Pop,
1: pop. Bravo. Yay. All right, I'm turning off the recording. So you can be the president. president. I'd rather be the pope. I'd rather be the pope. Be so happy. You can be the side effect. I'd rather be the pope. The pope.